listening to episode 51, chapter 4 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Chris Lamberth. And I'm Josh Havens. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that He would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. Today, we're wrapping up our conversation with Chuck DeGroat about his book, When Narcissism Comes to Church. Chuck DeGroat is Professor of Counseling in Christian Spirituality at Western Theological Seminary in Holland, Michigan, and co-founder and a senior fellow at Newbegin House of Studies in San Francisco. He is a licensed therapist, author, retreat leader, and spiritual director. He spent the last 20-plus years in a dynamic combination of pastoral ministry, seminary teaching, and clinical counseling. His books are practical and pastoral, meeting readers at the intersection of our spiritual journeys and the very real struggles we experience. Narcissistic tendencies aren't unique to charismatic personalities or those who might be a certain type on the Enneagram. In this chapter, Chuck unpacks the way each of us are susceptible to narcissism in our own way. And the Enneagram serves as a guide to understanding how our own sinful tendencies lead us to try to cover our insecurities or shortcomings. And while it's important for us to understand how to work with narcissists around us, it's also important for us to do this work of self-evaluation. One of the cool things that you do in the book is you, is you overlay the, the nine personality types in the Enneagram and you point out right. how narcissism can sort of be in each one of those. Now, again, most people don't like think they think, again, it's, it's one type. There's one, one face. Type. You're saying yeah. it can be multifaceted. And I think you really prove it with the Enneagram. Um, how did you first come to this realization or, or, or put this two things together when you started seeing the Enneagram, because you've worked with it for years and yeah. overlaid narcissism. Like, how did that yeah. come about? Well, I accepted the Enneagram into my heart in 1997. Um, <laughs> and it became, no, um, I love it. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I got to, you know, so it was a really interesting experience. So I'm, I'm doing my clinical work in the late 1990s and I've got a clinical supervisor who was reading uh, a man named Richard Rohr at the time, a Franciscan priest who had written a book on the Enneagram. And so I started reading that and connecting some dots and uh, reading people who were writing on this uh, years before it became popular. So years ago, uh, a couple of men named Riso and Hudson talked about the the levels of nine levels of development. And they, they actually sort of talked about personality disorders at the core of each Enneagram type. That was all really intriguing to me. And I think it was just a matter of, uh, you know, when you do this work after a while, you sort of start to see the matrix. And uh, that that was it. It was it was sort of like I'm I'm doing this work and you're you're an Enneagram five. You know, for people who don't know the Enneagram, it's 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 sometimes considered to be a personality test or tool. It's not so much that it really gets at sin patterns, really destructive patterns of relating and um well, so uh, an Enneagram five, someone who sort of lives from his or her head, someone who sort of prizes knowing um, more than relating. I, I started seeing clients like that who were uh, deeply disconnected from relationship with spouses, for instance, and who are condescending, not the typical narcissistic type, don't need to be on stage, kind of data driven people, but, you know, condescending in ways that were 
um, really demoralizing and disheartening to spouses and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, wow. So I'm starting to see these tendencies uh, in in husbands and wives and pastors and plumbers and politicians, you know, and, and just about everyone across the Enneagram spectrum. Uh, so it was really, it's been really 20 years of data gathering from my own work and really from checking this out with others along the way. Yeah, like the type two, who I consider to be probably like the closest to Jesus, at least in far, you know, that they're on the surface, it looks like on that the anyway. surface, right? They're, they they want <laughs> yeah, to give, right. they want, but like even they can be narcissist. And so, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, because I mean, yeah, it comes out in like those subtle ways of uh, you know subtle. trying to help in order to. Uh, and by the way, if you're listening and you, and you want a good introduction of the Enneagram, we'll link to an episode in the show notes so you can go and and we sort of go through each of the nine steps and yeah. um, you you can listen yeah. to that. But uh, like t- type two is commonly considered the the helper. They wanna they wanna help. In fact, we yeah. uh, we had another guest on just last week. He said his mom yeah. was a type two and she would just try to hang out and like public areas where tourists would go just so that she could be helpful because, you know, right. she just wanted to right. help. <laughs> yeah. And this is where this goes beyond a personality style. It really gets at motives. It really gets uh-huh. at how you get your needs met. Right. And so, and what drives you and, and, and even with, I mean, we, we could really get into the woods here and we probably don't have time for that, but like the emotions that drive this and the life experiences that those come out of, you know, and so, you know, for a two, there's often this desire to sort of meet other people's needs uh, in a sort of twisted way of getting their own needs met. Mm-hmm. And when you really get below the surface and under the hood of a two, it's like oftentimes as children, they were parentified. In other words, they were they had to grow up too quick. Mm-hmm. And um, they just want to be little kids who who can have needs. And yet they're out there taking care of everyone else's needs. Right. Yeah. And so it's. uh so this is where uh, I find um, this conversation to be so clarifying and so hopeful in the sense that for those who are willing to go underneath the hood and do the work and expose the motives, you can you can sort of start to, I'm an Enneagram four and I, I, yeah, I think there's too. this need to be, <laughs> yeah, special, unique, understood, to belong. Well then it, oh, so that's why I was drawn to narcissist because I wanted you to see me as valuable, special, that I belong, that you understood me, that I was included. And if I felt those things, I was something, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and this is where it meets your discipleship question or conversation head on because we're all looking to get those needs met in all kinds of different ways. I wasn't uh, intending on asking this uh, question, but um, since we're talking about the Enneagram and you've got so much experience, one of the ways that I, th- I, I commonly like to think about it, and I'm, I'm not an expert by any means, but uh, done some reading, is that yeah. the the different types. Um, Christopher Hewitt, who we had on the podcast yeah. to talk about this, yeah. you know, he explains them as childhood uh, wounds. And again, it's why right. I love the way that you right. talk about right. narcissists are really trying to protect their inner child. Like I just. That seems like a good one-to-one correlation right there. And um, yeah. is it, do you think though, when it comes to the Enneagram, that that type, which again, might come up from a childhood wound, would have been there regardless of how well, like, like in the sense of a type yeah. one, which I am, which is yeah. Yeah. often you felt like you could never be good enough or you weren't loved enough. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there was anything my parents probably could have done. I probably <laughs> yeah. would have ended up yeah. a type one. In that yeah. case, is that true? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, Chris does a really good job of this in his work of 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 really saying that this is this is more than childhood wounds and experiences. This is this actually goes back to a kind of um, nature conversation. Like mm-hmm. when I've got two daughters, and when each one was born, within like the first two years, within the first year, probably three months, for all I remember, we saw differences, you know, and they're very different personalities. Um, that's a beautiful thing. That wasn't anything that we necessarily shaped. That was the gift God gave us in my probably Enneagram one oldest and Enneagram six youngest. Right. And so, but then within the, the beautiful, um, relationship of Chuck and Sarah as their parents, then, you know, that those personalities are shaped and formed. And I think one of the things that we can do as good parents is we can invite them to that inner conversation in a way that um, that this doesn't become pathological, you know, and so you can be a, you know, Enneagram threes get a bad rap because people say they're always, always on stage and they're always wanting, wanting to be successful or be winners. Well, I, I know some really healthy Enneagram threes who are well-adjusted, well-regulated, um, emotionally intelligent, who, um, you know, there's a basic need to be successful or to win or something like that, but they're so aware of it and they can bring their gifts to the world in a way that is a is a contribution to the kingdom. And so we've got to pay attention to nature and nurture the whole package. Yeah. So I think, yeah. again, I think what this Enneagram uh, idea really demonstrates here, or I guess it's the point that I'm trying to lead up to, is that like anybody can be a narcissist or we can have these these narcissistic tendencies. And then if we let them, they can definitely become uh, toxic. So what do we do if we start to see that in ourselves? Let's somebody's listening. They're like, Oh man, that, that is, that is totally me. Or they, they pick up your book cause everybody yeah. should go out and, you know, read this book and they start to see these things within them. What do they yeah. need to start doing in order to, uh, you know, look under the water at the rest of the iceberg as you kind of talk about. I say probably first email you guys, um, and share <laughs> their stories that, I, I think that which we'd love to have, begins, by the way. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it begins with some curiosity about what's going on internally. Um, that leads to conversations with people who uh, are willing to enter in with you, you know, a mentor, someone who's discipling you, a friend, a spiritual director, a good therapist, someone who will help. You know, a good friend, I think, is someone who will will help. Uh, help you sort of open that hood and look underneath and and ask some of the deeper questions. And so, so what's that about? And I wonder what part of your story that that implicates. Or I wonder if was your sister that way? Or uh, what is your husband? How does your husband experience you? Or whatever you know, those kinds of probing questions that you don't need to be a therapist to ask those questions. But I do think that if you're curious about it. Um, you want to find yourself in a relationship with someone who's going to ask those questions. And maybe that means being in a relationship with a therapist. I don't know. That's yeah. kind of depends. Yeah, it probably does. One of, one of the things our, our counseling teacher in seminary told us, or at least I, we were in a different class, but th- I think this is influenced. Yeah, it, this has influenced our, our philosophy. And again, yeah. we've seen it play out in our own lives and relationship since seminary and you know, doing all the stuff that we're doing together. Um, but it's, she said like 80% of my job would go away if people just had good friendships. Mm. You know, like if, yeah. if you just had a friend that you could sit down and sort yeah. of have these kinds of conversations that you're talking about, they wouldn't need ultimately, you know, those wounds wouldn't yeah. fester for, yeah. you know, a year, five yeah. years, 10 years that 
then it gets serious enough that they do need yeah. serious counseling to, to deal with those. And, and what it yeah. can't be is people who are going to be your friend and kind of take your side in every little thing. Because mm-hmm. then it's just you're just going to have a yes man or a yes yeah. woman yeah. around you right. who's going to right. always say, "Well, you're you're always you're of course you're the victim in this in this situation." Right. Or, yeah. Of course, right. of course, right. your feelings are right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which definitely isn't healthy either. That's right. Yeah. So not someone who's just enabling you or what what I like to talk about is trauma bonding, where you just go yeah. and you just spill your trauma, but but friends who are going to ask the hard questions, you know, and. Um, uh, I, I would hope that for me, you know, John and Kyle and other friends in my life would would know my Enneagram fourness well enough that when I come in and I start spinning in my drama, as I'm prone to do, I can't believe this happened and then this happened. And I just, you know, that they're they can sort of draw back around to, well, we know all this stuff happened and the world is terrible, Chuck, and it's tragic and everyone's against you. And, you know, um, but what's going on with you? What's that? You know, what's that? What's what? What what about you is asking for this? Maybe you're inviting it or what are you missing about kind of your own uh, complicity and or whatever it might be, you know, where they actually turn the table on me. That's what a good friend does. You know, we're laughing because this is uh, the same conversation that yeah, we've this had. This is reminiscent of our conversation. <laughs> right. We yeah. like to we like to say go three wise deep. Like we, we came across this, I think, from uh, certain business principle books where if you can go three wise deep, like you ask the question, why? Like, why are you doing that? Why? You know. Because yeah. we we got to enter this data into this spreadsheet. Well, why? Well, because the client, and so, you know. Um, yeah. But we found the same thing to be true when when exploring your motives as well. It's like, uh, yeah. you know, Josh. Josh is really good at this. He'll often j- just ask me because I'm again, I'm a, I'm a type one. I get I get very angry at the slightest. Mm-hmm thing that goes Injustice. wrong like i mean goodness gracious i just ranted to you for like 45 minutes in the parking lot yesterday just yeah. <laughs> dealing with all of this you know this george floyd stuff and like how do we react yep. how you know yep. it just yep. it makes you so angry and so josh yeah. is just able to ask you know those little prompting well That's why good. like what about that and and it yeah even in these times i mean we're not i'm not meant to see i'm going to get off on it <laughs> the podcast is going to <laughs> is great. going to go into this Save it for the other conversation yeah. that we yes have. i know we need to um but again, I think I think it's just good that these things can well up in any of us. And again, having somebody just to simply, you know, yeah. love you and be able to ask why it, it does take time to sure. earn that permission, though. Um, where can people go to get a copy of your book and then to follow your work? Because you are very yeah. involved. Yeah, well, so uh, uh, first of all, chuckdegroat.net is my website, and that would be kind of probably the clearest place to go. I mean, I'm on social media at Chuck DeGroat, stuff like that. But um, I, I was like when people purchase books from Hearts and Minds Books, you could just Google and look up. It's an independent bookseller. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you can find it Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all those traditional booksellers. There's an Audible, there's a Kindle, uh, there's a, a Papyrus, Parchment, all those things, you know, so great. Yeah. And we will link to those things in the show notes. So if you guys want to go down there and we'll, we will do a link to uh, hearts and minds, uh, bookseller. So, uh, yeah. And, great. Uh, yeah. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. I feel like we could sit here and have a counseling session yeah. for a couple more hours. Uh, let's do it again. <laughs> we definitely yeah, should. Again. We That's definitely fun. should. Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks. Thanks guys. If you take one thing away from our conversation this week, I want you to recognize that narcissism can lurk inside of each of us. It's not only a problem for those who like to be on stage and speak in front of large audiences. 
Each of us can be a narcissist if we are unwilling to take a deep, hard look at who we truly are. Narcissism is the false persona that deeply wounded people put up because they are afraid of letting God or others see them. So if you want to combat narcissism in your own life and in the lives of those around you, begin by cultivating deep relationships with one or two trusted friends who will ask you honest questions. And then begin to seriously examine your own life and motives. Become curious about who you are and why you act the way you do. Toxic narcissism can sneak into each of our lives, whether through a leader's alluring style or through our own desire to feel loved. But when you are walking with others who have your best interest at heart and you are seeking to know who you are in Christ, you will be able to stave off the toxic narcissism as you seek to please your heavenly Father. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Chuck's work, check out chuckdegroat.net. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation, where Chris and I walk through some of the lessons we've taken from this week's conversation. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.